Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay with us for this hour as we are opening the Bible again. And uh, we are very happy uh, today to uh, talk about uh, shaping God's mission. My dear friend listening today, you can be part of this program. You can send us a text message to 0482. Zero nine triple eight three. Please don't be shy. Send us a text message, maybe a question, a thought. Also, on this number, we'd like to share the offer which we have for today a little bit later. Please have this number safe. And I would like to say hello to our panel. It's good to have with us today, Jerry. Thank you, Nick. It's good to be here. Joe, it's good to have you joining us, too. Great to be here. Thank you, Nick. Hi, Len. Thank you for being part of this discussion. Thank you for the welcome, Nick, and hello, listeners. And I'll say hello to Dennis uh, today. Dennis, thank you so much for uh, putting a bit of extra time preparing this Bible study. You are going to facilitate uh, the discussion. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's my pleasure to be here. Please, Denise, take us through. Sure. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the story of Abraham, who was the founding father of the special relationship between the Jews and God. We saw his intimate and friendly relationship with God, and it's a prime example for the relationship that each one of us as human beings can have with the Almighty God. In Amos 3.7, it says, but the Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. And Abraham was a prophet of God. We'll look at a story in Genesis 18 where Abraham is acting as God's prophet and his servant. He's also on a mission to save as many people as possible from destruction in Sodom and Gomorrah, where he was personally involved in God's mission. His role was to pray for the people to repent to see how many innocent people God would save, and isn't that what mission is all about? In our study today, we will see three of Abraham's great spiritual qualities. The first one is his hospitality. The second is his love for people, and the third is his ability to intercede or pray on behalf of others, all qualities needed for mission service to the world. Lynn, I'd like to ask you to pray for our listeners today and to pray for our panel as we go through this study. Okay, well, listeners, would you like to join us in prayer? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to open your holy word and share what's there. But, Lord, what we say is will be ineffective unless the Holy Spirit is present, and so we ask for your guiding today to us and also that the listeners might be impressed to do something about the information they receive and make changes in their lives if necessary. We thank you for this opportunity and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Len. In Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15, there's a story about Abraham's hospitality to three strangers. 
Jerry, can you summarize this story and tell us what elements of hospitality Abraham showed towards his guests? Uh, yes. It says there that, um, that the Lord appeared to Abraham one day as he was sitting at the entrance of his tent, which was pitched among the great oak trees of memory. I'm just uh, reading a few verses from uh, the clear word paraphrase. Anyway, it says that um, Abraham saw three men heading in his direction. And so what does he do? He, he quickly gets up and, and welcomes them. He bows down low. Uh, to the ground and says, please don't keep going. Don't pass me by. Come in and, and stay for a while and refresh yourselves. So he gets up and he says, let me serve you. I'll get some water to cool your feet and you can rest in the shade of these beautiful trees. Then I'll bring you something to eat and renew to eat so that you can renew your strength before you go on your way. And so that's what happens. He, uh, he speaks to Sarah and he says, quick, uh, get some food <laughs> prepared. So they, they bake some fresh bread and they uh, prepare some meat and they sit down and eat it together. So it's very important in the Middle East to be hospitable today. And also for us, we can learn from that. Abraham demonstrated by his actions how the gift of hospitality can bring people together. I think that's an important element that we um, should take from that, being hospitable. The Bible talks about that in a couple of uh, places. And um, in Hebrews, in fact, uh, chapter 13, verse 2, it says, do not, enter, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So, uh, and again, in First Peter chapter 4, verse 9, it says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's a good, good thing to be hospitable. It does bring people together, doesn't it? And, yes. uh, and we see here a prime example of that with... Uh, with Abraham and it's repeated in other places in the Bible as well so from this event we can see that Abraham was aware of his uh, role in mission and that role was to show hospitality that was one of the one of the aspects of his mission and he wanted to show who God was in the world in which he was living and that world was full of paganism it was full of idolatry and polytheism um, I wonder, panel, if I can open up this next one to you. Uh, the text is found in Genesis 18, 20 to 22, and it tells us why God was going to destroy two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Can someone, can people on the panel have a look at that and talk about that, please? Well, I'll, I'll read the uh, relevant verses. It's Genesis 18, verses 20. Uh, to 22. <clears throat> then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I'll know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Thank you, Lynn. Joe, you'd like to say something? Well, you wonder what the outcry, what the outcry was, and I think Ezekiel 16 gives us some idea of what the Sodom, Sodomites or the 
people living in Sodom and Gomorrah were like. And God is speaking to Israel here and he's telling them that they're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says here, now this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and complacent. They did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I removed them as you have seen. So that gives us some more information about the outcry, the uh, the issues that God was having with Sodom and Gomorrah and the, the cities in that in the plain. Thank you, Joe. Anyone else on the panel like to make a comment, or you think that's Len? Yeah, I'm back again. The word sodomy is from the name of the city of Sodom. These people were involved in homosexual acts which God has um, condemned. So this, apart from them being self-centred and overfed and all that, because it was a very fertile region of the Jordan Valley where Sodom and Gomorrah was placed, and um, but these people were involved in some terrible things. Nick, you'd like to say something? Yeah, I will just uh, want to look a little bit more open about this situation because we can easily just um, restrict, you know, certain things to certain, you know, regions from people and so on and so forth. I believe there were many scenes even before uh, Sodom and the intervention of God there to Sodom and Gomorrah. And even about those situations, uh, why was God intervene here in Sodom and Gomorrah? And keep in mind this in the context of Abraham in the picture. Because we are learning here how God shapes his mission with us and the world. And I think we need to think of uh, this aspect that uh, God will really show sometime the extremes of his intervention. Now, it doesn't mean here anything that those people are just bad. I mean, they are bad, but you remember how Jesus talked to the people of Israel. I mean, do you think that those people of Siloam, they are uh, worse than you? You know, that the, the tower fall on them? Maybe not, but that's for you to understand. And I think this is what is for us, for, for everyone today. We need to understand what's God's plan and pray to God that we are, we would, we are not doing those sort of things to attract upon us the punishment of God. I think this is very important in the context in which we live today, even in this world, whatever goes on right now in this world, and particularly in the in those parts of the world, you know, as you call the Holy Land. Very, very significant uh, thing. We can debate only on that the whole hour today, but maybe it's not. Uh, this is not the intention of this program. In Exodus chapter thirty-four, the Lord tells what He is like. And he's abounding in love and slow to anger 
And yet in verse 7 he says, does not leave the wicked unpunished. Now if we read in Genesis chapter 6, the Lord was grieved about all the evil that was happening on the earth. And so he had to um, punish. In fact, he wiped the people out who were wicked. We have to take heed of this because there is a time coming when God is going to punish the wicked and save the righteous. And this is part of the, the mission that we are involved in to help save people from that punishment and turn them to the Lord so that they can have eternal life too. It was Abram's mission. And so um, God wasn't being cruel. He was being kind because these people kept on going. I have no idea what humanity would have turned into, but you have to filter out the evil, in order to save the good. If you don't, it's going to affect everybody. Society will be completely riddled with sin like it occurred back in that time in those two cities. Thanks, Len. Jerry, you wanted to say something? Yes, Denise. I don't think it's by accident that in the epistle of Jude, it also makes reference to Sodom and Gomorrah in the context of... uh, the judgment of that great day. Uh, it specifically says there that uh, in verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to those having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So, you know, we need to pay attention to these uh, verses and, and look at what the Bible says very clearly what the final outcome will be if you go down a way a path that is in the opposite direction to where god wants you to be essentially that's the bottom line isn't it to do your own thing to live your own way and uh more often than not that leads down a path of immorality and god and as len just said god has to do something about that he has to intervene sooner or later otherwise it it just destroys everything and God doesn't want people to be destroyed. He wants people to be saved. That's why we get these these stern warnings. Yes. It reminds me of the story of Jonah going to Nineveh, and that city was going to be destroyed. And uh, Jonah's mission was to go and preach to them about God's love and repentance. And he didn't expect any of them to repent, and the whole city repented. And as a result, they were saved. So that story is a good contrast to this story. Nick. And that was my point when I, um, what I said a bit earlier, that there was an opportunity there, even in Sodom and Gomorrah, for people to repent and to turn uh, away from the wicked things they did. And, um, you know, this is sad because even in Lot's family, you know, Lot's wife, she lost her life. Now she was not part of those, uh, uh, you know, maybe sexual immoralities, because sometimes we can single out that thing because that was destroyed just because of that. There was more than that, but that was definitely one of the things which stood out. And uh, today we ca- we are not even uh, sensible or sensitive 
to those aspects. It's just normal, okay? It's just normal in the everyday life. But uh, here, here it's, if we look into this a bit more, we need to understand that God has a plan with each one of us. And that plan we need to follow for our benefit, not just to, um, you know, to avoid punishment. Yes, that, thank you, Nick. Um, Abraham, or in Genesis 18, 23 to 33, it tells us that part of Abraham's sense of mission was his love for people. And he had a love for all people. He wasn't prejudiced against anyone. Now, how did Abraham plead with God for the lives of these people in Sodom and Gomorrah? And what does this reveal about how mission should look, Len? Okay, well, I have to say that there were two missions involved here. God had a mission to uh, destroy these people who were practicing wickedness all the time. And in, I think it was Sodom, uh, Abraham's nephew Lot lived. Those of you who know the Old Testament um, book of Genesis will realize that when Abraham moved down to Canaan, this area of the world we're talking about, that uh, they were, they had herds and flocks and they reached a point where there wasn't sufficient sufficient grazing land for both Lot's animals and Abraham's animals. So Abraham generously gave Lot the first choice. He said, look, one of us is going in, in the mountain country. The other one can go down into the plains. Lot chose the plains, which was much more fertile. And he eventually lived down there. And he was living there at the time of this particular incident. When Abraham learned of what God intended to do to the wicked people in Sodom and Gomorrah and some of the nearby towns, He pleaded for the lives of the people. In this way, he said, look, um, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, he expected, and I think he knew that his nephew Lot was a good man. He didn't deserve to die because he wasn't involved in these sins. So this was Abraham's point with God, and he bargained with God. And he said, well, look, Lord, these are my words, if there are 50 righteous people in the city, would you still destroy everyone together? And the Lord said to him, no, I wouldn't do that. And um, Abraham must have had some idea of what people in the city were like. And then he said, well, look, Lord, if there are 45 righteous people in the city, will you still destroy them? The Lord said, no, I won't destroy them for the sake of 45 good people. Abraham kept bargaining. What about 40? God said, no, I wouldn't destroy the city if there are 40 righteous people. And so this went on. If there are 30, no. What about 20? No, I wouldn't destroy the city for cities if there were 20 righteous people. Well, what about 10? 
this sounds like uh, buying something in China or one of these countries where you you haggle. And so they've haggled, Abraham has haggled the price down to 10. God said, no, I wouldn't destroy the city for 10. And at this point, Abraham realized God knew the condition of the people. However, considering Abraham, what was he doing? He was acting as an intermediary to save the lives of the people and particularly because of good people, righteous people who might be living there, including his nephew Lot. What do we learn from this? Well, I think we should also work our hardest, do our best to um, also save people from eternal destruction. And that's what we're doing on this program, to bringing to your notice, listeners, the fact that there are only two roads to take in this life. One is to honour and serve God to receive eternal life, and the other is to do your own thing, when that will not get you eternal life. Thank you, Lynn. Now, Abraham hoped to save all the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, not only the ones who believed in God, but he was praying that the ones who didn't believe would repent and be saved. Nick, in Genesis 19, 1-11, what was the reason that God had decided to destroy the people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Can you summarise that situation for us? Sure, Dennis. Um, yeah, this is... Um the story, you know, when, um, Lot, uh, come to, to see those, uh, men, uh, coming towards, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And like Abraham, Lot being a very hospitable, he invited them to come into his house. Now you may think that was just because he was hospitable. I think he's more than that. I think uh, Lot tried to prevent these people, these foreigners, to be involved or to see what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Lot, I believe, even though the Bible doesn't say that, but he chose to be there when he separated from Abraham because it was a very good place. I mean, uh, for him and his family and his herds and so on and so forth. But I believe he understood what he got into. And he was trying to uh, help these people. And as a custom was, there is maybe in the Middle East, he did those things first. Now, the question you ask is why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? We see in this story, if we read this passage in um, Genesis 19, that uh, every chance was given to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah was rejected. They had only one thing in mind themselves. They have only one thing in mind to satisfy their pleasures. Now That can be extended so much today not necessarily in uh, sexual uh, aspects, but many other aspects when we can be so much 
focused on ourselves and just to please ourselves, make ourselves happy. And, you know, when we are so selfish and egocentered, there is no room for others and for society. What's the point of living (laughs) together in this world if we are only looking at ourselves and to please ourselves? You know, that's a big question mark, Denise Bannelan, listener. With what's going on in this world, we may judge and may look back to Sodom and Gomorrah, why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And we ask the question, why God is not destroying this world with what's going on today? That will be uh, a time when God will have to come to that judgment. I will say that uh, God cannot stand sin. And he is warning us all, move away from sin and uh, receive God's blessings and repent from your sins because we are all sinners. We are not saints, but we can be with Jesus Christ. You know, our Lord, we can be safe in God's hands rather than to be subject of destruction. Thank you, Nick. Why did Abraham bargain with God for the lives of the innocent people who lived in those cities? Joe, what did what did Abraham know about God that they needed to know? Well, that's a, a good question. Uh, firstly, we might need to re- recall and remember that Abraham knew these people. Um these were the people he helped rescue. Remember, there was a, a war, a, a battle, if you like, and there were a number of kings against a number of kings, and Lot was taken captive. And Abraham went down with his men and rescued, and he had personal interaction with the king of Sodom um, in the sense that king of Sodom said, look, you can keep all the booty, and Abraham says, no, no, no. You know, just give what's owing to you know, my people, the warriors that came with me, and the rest, you know, I don't want anything from you. Anyway, that's another story. But knowing these people the way he did, I'm sure that he had no doubt in his mind about the sinfulness and guilt before God. Um, And the Lord himself, has been mentioned, said that the outcry had reached him. Their reputation was probably very well known, but Abraham still had compassion and he tried to save them, even by using the presence of the righteous among them. Secondly, Lot and his family lived there and and as such would share in that punishment. We need to remember that while he was pleading for the lives of the Sodomites and Gomorrans, he was also pleading in earnest for the lives of his nephew and family who had chosen to live there, this fertile valley with its life of ease and decadence. And also, God knew that God is a loving God, and as Len had already quoted, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, devotion and faithfulness, maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. Now, this vignette in Abraham's life shows us that we should love people regardless of their sin. We need to intercede, pray, and work for their salvation. God loves people regardless of their sin, but he does and will hold us all accountable. Thank you, Joe. Now, 
We've talked about Abraham's hospitality. Uh, we've also um, covered some aspects of his love for the people around him. The third aspect that we're going to be looking at that is part of his mission service was intercessory prayer. Now, Jerry, can you explain what intercessory prayer is and how Abraham used this method on behalf of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, intercessory prayer, to, to put simply, is that you you pray on behalf of others in the sense that you plead another's case before God, hoping for a possible, a posit, positive or favourable outcome. Um, and Len already uh, touched on that when he talked about how Abraham pleaded with God uh, for the lives of those living there, and he starts to almost bargain with God. And it's interesting how in the clear word paraphrase it says um, in verse 25 of chapter 18, Abraham says to the Lord, it's not like you, Lord, to destroy innocent people in order to stop the wicked from sinning. If you did, the innocent would die unjustly with the guilty, and that wouldn't be right. Shouldn't the one who judges be just himself? And just think of the mindset of, of Abraham and what that tells us about his, his love for people. And as Joe pointed out, um, you know, he, he would have recognized and realized that, um, that these people were living in a way that was not compatible with the way that God wanted them to live and that, um, something radical had to change. They, they were living in sin and open sin. They were fully self-focused. And yet Abraham loved them so much that he pleaded with God. Lord, would you destroy everybody then? And and it makes me wonder, shouldn't we have the same love for people in the world today? We see that uh, the great majority of people haven't got a connection with the God of Abraham, the true God. And we know ultimately what will happen if they don't. So that, that alone should motivate us to intercede in that sense, just like Abraham did through, uh, you know, through prayer for them, through intercessory prayer. Now, James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In the clear word it says, has tremendous power. And it sort of it reminds me of the rationale for intercessory prayer. Is it to awaken in God, a greater love for a person or for a people? Surely not. God is love. Is it to remind him of a predicament that somebody finds themselves in? Well, that can't be true either because God already knows everything. He knows our predicament. So what's the rationale for intercessory prayer? I believe it is to awaken in us a greater love and compassion for our fellow man and for God, to draw us closer to each other and to teach us what it means to love your neighbour as yourself. Therein, I think, lies the strength of intercessory prayer. Thank you. A great explanation of that. Len, can you explain to us how important intercessory prayer is for the success of our mission on earth as God's representatives? Well, I'd like to start with a little story. It's only a small story. When our children were small, we visited the Grampian Mountains in Victoria. 
and there was one place where a rock jutted out over a valley and it was quite a spectacular view. And <clears throat> one of our children was uh, fairly game and he was getting quite close to the edge of this rock. And we cautioned him to don't go too far, otherwise you might fall. Now, why did we do that? Because we loved our child. And fortunately, he took the warning and he stepped back and didn't fall down. Now, <clears throat> the motive is basically would boil down in its lowest common denominator because we loved our child. And why do we intercede for other people? We intercede for their good because we care for them. Now, when we read about Jesus in Romans chapter 9 and verse 34, there's a lot in this verse, but I'll just read it. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died because he gave his life for, for us. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God. And then it says, and is also interceding for us right now. I think we discussed this a little time ago about what is Jesus doing right now. And then we've got a verse in Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25. And it's talking about Jesus again. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. In her 2008 Christmas address, Queen Elizabeth, our previous regent, said the world would do well to follow the teachings and example of Jesus Christ. And this applies to us as Christians. If Jesus is interceding for people, it seems to me that we as followers of the Lord should also be interceding for others, that they too will not meet with a, uh, a, an end which will not be eternal life. In other words, that they will be destroyed. And this story of Abraham and of Sodom and Gomorrah and of Lot is actually a little, a little, um, glimpse, a little picture, a thumbnail sketch of the whole plan of salvation. Jesus stepped in on our behalf and Abraham stepped in and interceded for the people back at that time, although most of them were completely given over to evil. Yes. Now, Joe, in Genesis 19, 1 to 29, what do we see are the results of Abraham's hospitality, his love for people, and his intercessory prayer? Well, if the story continues after, in chapter 19 of Genesis, after the angels left Abraham, they journeyed on to the valley cities, you know, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Anyway, 
In chapter 19, the story picks up where the two angels, there were three to begin with, but now there's two angels who arrive in Sodom at, in the evening and Lot was sitting at the gateway. We don't know what his purpose was, whether he was a leader in the city or whether he was just looking to rescue any strangers um, and protect them because he knew how dangerous it was to be out at night. So anyway, he invites them to his house and then they show a little bit of hesitation, but he insists. And so they go to his house and they, you know, enjoy his hospitality. Um, he prepares a meal for them, baking bread. Um, and so they eat. But before going to bed, the Bible says that all the men of every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. So we can picture a riot. And they're calling out and they're saying, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. Wow. That's a bit over the top, isn't it? Anyway, Lot is probably very ashamed. He steps outside the door and he says, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And he tries to reason with them. And, of course, they say, get out of our way. And um and they start bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. The men, the angels inside, reached out and pulled Lot in and shut the door behind him. And they struck the men, says here, who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. Now, this was some time for some serious talking. And so the angels say to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters or any, anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. And, of course, Lot, he, he goes out and he talks to his sons-in-law and, um, you know, and they say, they laugh and they say, He's joking, you know, this is it's not serious. This is to, so far-fetched. Anyway, Lot does his bit. He does try. But with the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, and they said, look, time is running out. Hurry, take your wife, your two daughters who are with you, because the city will be surely swept away, and the city will be punished. And, of course, he's dilly-dallying again, and the men grasp his hand and his hand, wife's hands and the ch daughter's, and they virtually drag them out of the city. It says here, for the Lord was merciful to them. And as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives and don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Just flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. Now, to cut a long story short, uh, Lot starts to quibble about, yeah, I know my lords, you know, um, you know, something might terrible might happen to me. Can I just seek shelter in one of these little, little towns here, you know, and so forth. So they allow him to go. To, they allow them to seek refuge in a town called Zor. And we'll leave it there. But by the time that Lot has reached this little town. The sun had risen over the land, and it says in verse 24, the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And that's... And that's basically the story until verse 27. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place we had, where he had stood before the Lord pleading. 
while he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Your question was, the results of Abraham's hospitality, love and intercessory prayer, well, he did his best, but he couldn't save those cities because there weren't even 10 left, 10 righteous people in there. But the results were that Lot and his family were spared. But not only them, he had managed to spare the city of Zor where they had sought refuge. So the results were not what Abraham had hoped for, but um, God did not sweep away the righteous with the guilty. Thanks, Joe. Excellent. Liam, you'd like to say something? I often like to say something, but I want to point out here that if you visit this part of the world, this once very fertile part of the Jordan Valley, you'll find it is a infertile place now. I've actually seen photographs uh, taken by an archaeologist who's been to that part of the world where you'll actually, where he has found little lumps of sulfur buried in the ground. And this was uh, in the Bible, it's sometimes called brimstone. But this part of the world now is an infertile rather than being a fertile region. And for those people who doubt, who doubt about the veracity of the Bible, this to me is a proof that the Bible is indeed God's word. It is true and you can believe it. Thank you, Lynn. Now, when we look at the results of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and we also look at the flood where wicked people were destroyed, um, in Sodom and Gomorrah they were destroyed by fire, the flood they were destroyed by water, there were only a small number of people saved. Nick, what does this tell us about our own mission efforts to the people in this world? That's a great question, uh, Denise. And uh, I hope that, yeah, every one of us and many other people will uh, understand that, that we have very little time at hand to really uh, bring out, you know, this warning. I mean, looking back, to the situation you just mentioned, Denise, uh, during the flood or Sodom and Gomorrah, just few people were saved. You know, Jesus mentioned about, actually, about the flood that, um, in the later days, it will be like in the time of the flood, you know, when people are just busy with their own life, you know, eating, drinking, making their own business. And in the Bible says that they, plans, all the plans are just wicked plans. I wonder what's happening today. I wonder what's going on with us today in this society. It's scary when you look back, you know, and you see just a small number of people being saved in those circumstances. But, you know, there is a saying that if we don't learn from the past, you know, we are doomed to repeat Lots of the mistakes in the past. I think this is the time of awakening. It's a time when we should wake up and uh, 
receive from God his love and mercy towards us, you know, and and spare many of us from the destruction. And we as children of God, because we are um, talking about the word of God, the Bible, the instructions which God gives us in the Bible, I think we need to uh, focus on these things like um, Abraham, you know, we talked about interceding, prayers and all those things. I think we we need to take it a bit more serious than probably we do in this regard because uh, we know these things, we look at these things and then we still sometimes carry on with our own life day by day. It's an urgency call, uh, Denis, here for us. It's uh, it's urgent to stand at the... At the gate, you know, if you like, as Lot did, and Abraham, and and uh, be watchful, and see those people coming across, you know, uh, and be able to stand um, yeah, with the potential of saving so many lives. We are part of this mission. You, you remember that we are studying together this God's mission, and our mission, we are part of this great plan which God has to, to save as many as possible. This world is going to be destroyed, like uh, in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, or maybe during the flood, even if we like it or not. Unfortunately, too many people, they hope that uh, this world will still last for thousands of years and will still live here. Uh, happily, but the Bible tells us different, that this world will be destroyed. Now, are we awake? Are we ready to um, do the right thing, or we are just going along with the flow? Thank you, Nick. Joe, you had something to say. When Abraham got up the next morning and saw the plumes of smoke rising from the valley, I feel that his heart must have sank. Um, he would have known how many, many people there would have been there. But he did not question God's judgment. He did not challenge God on the destruction of these cities because he knew God was righteous. Abraham might have wondered whether Lot had made it out or not. He didn't have a special, you know, little message. Little birdie didn't fly and say, listen, Lot and his family are okay. He might for a little while have thought Lot had perished with them. And Abraham had to trust God with the result. Sometimes we can do all that we can for people, but ultimately God respects their choice. He will not usurp their freedom to choose, even if it's to not choose him. And we need to also, but we need to make, make time, we need to make sure that we've made the right choice for God ourselves. Yes, definitely, Joe. Now, Lynn, um, we need to talk. We, we've talked about Abraham submitting to God and why, um, should we submit to the will of God even when we don't know the outcome? All right. Well, you spoke about Abraham. God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees to a place that I will show you. And so why did Abraham go? 
He could have reasoned that, well, I don't know where we're going. You might be going to lead us into a bad place. The reason was because Abraham trusted God. This reminds me, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were in the United Kingdom. We have just completed a world trip, and we uh, took a bus trip into Scotland. Now, I didn't have a clue where to go. I knew where we were going in this case. We were going to Scotland, but to get there, if I had to drive that bus, and I used to have a bus driver's license, I wouldn't know where to go. But because Abraham trusted God, he he went. And I think the same thing applies to us. And I feel a lot of people don't make any commitment to the Lord because they haven't learned to trust him. And as I read the word of God and this story about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and some of the surrounding towns and see the evidence, that helps me to trust God. And so I think there's a lesson here, a sort of a broader lesson apart from uh, respecting everybody that as we see the evidence of the Bible come true, that we can trust it, and then we learn to trust the author of the Bible. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow or in a year's time, but I trust God. And when I'm, I sometimes say in my prayers, Lord, I am safe with you. And I hope you as listeners are learning or have learned to trust God because if we follow him, we cannot go wrong. Yes, thank you. Nick? Well, just, uh, yeah, i like to put a plug, uh, Denise, uh, if we could. Because, uh, yeah, as Len was just pointing out, uh, we all need to consider uh, where we are at. And uh, would love to have this opportunity, you know, my friend listening today, that you can grab a offer which we have for today. It's a book called True Revival. And we offer this book. You just need to send us a text message to the number 0482093883. And the code for this offer is SABS2. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible study, just add number two there. No space in between them uh, all, and our uh, friendly robot will take you through. Again, please request this free offer we have for uh, today, um, True Revival, and the number is 0482093883. Jerry, our last question for our study goes to you. Um, How did Abraham show his commitment to God's call to mission in his life? Yeah, in Genesis chapter 12, we read that um, the Lord said to Abraham, Now that your father Terah is dead, leave this city and move to the land that I will show you, because you are still living too close to your relatives. We learnt in a previous study that uh, where they lived was Ur and Chaldea, 
And had everything been perfectly fine there, God wouldn't have called him out. But we know that there was widespread idolatry as well there. So God had a better plan uh, for Abraham. So how does Abram res respond? If you drop down to verse 4, we read, Abram did as the Lord had told him and left the city of Haran, and his nephew Lot went with him. So he didn't, he didn't sort of argue with God. He didn't try to negotiate with God. He, he did what God uh, told him to do. And to me, that shows that he had a commitment already, a connection with God, a trusting relationship with God. Uh, now, that had to be refined, as we know, in uh, the history of Abram. But um, it also teaches me that, that we need to make a wholehearted commitment to God. And I think you can only do that if you have a wholehearted conversion. We have to get serious with sin. We have to make a clean break, as it were, and turn your back on sin. And God wants us to do that. And if we do that, then we can truly walk with God. And what a wonderful experience that would be, just like Enoch and, and some of the other uh, people we read about in the Bible. They had this wonderful commitment to God and to walking with him and fulfilling God's mission. And that's what we are all called to do and participate in. Thanks, Jerry. When God told Abraham that he was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham tried to save the cities, but there were not even ten people in those cities who believed and followed God. Abraham accepted God's judgment on these cities as being God's divine will. God was able to use Abraham because he was willing to follow God in any circumstances. If we are to be on God's mission to the world, we need to be submissive to God's will also. In our modern cities, it is difficult to preach about God's saving grace to people effectively. We need to plead with God to intervene in people's lives to turn their thinking around so they will accept God's plan for their lives and be saved. In um, Patriarchs and Prophets, the writer says this, The spirit of Abraham is the spirit of Christ. The Son of God is himself, the great intercessor on the sinner's behalf. He who has paid the price for its redemption knows the worth of the human soul. With an antagonism to evil that can only exist in a nature spotlessly pure, Christ manifested toward the sinner a love which infinite goodness alone can conceive. In the agonies of the crucifixion, himself burdened with the awful weight of the sins of the world, he prayed for his revilers and murderers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So was Abraham's success, uh, intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah a success or a failure? Well, three people were saved because they believed and followed God and wanted his salvation, and as Joe said, also the city of Zoar. So what about you listeners? Are you saved? Do you want to be saved? If so, then all you need to do is ask God who wants to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him through Christ, since Christ always makes intercession for them. Joe, can you please take our closing prayer today? Certainly. Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being a part of your mission to the world. And, Lord, we pray that you would increase our faithfulness, our earnestness and sincerity in prayer for our families, friends, 
and even those we may not know that well or even have trouble liking. Your word tells us how much you love all people, so help us to see others as you do and show them what you are like so that others may see something in us which draws them to you. And if this is the first time someone has tuned in and it all seems a little strange and difficult to understand, we pray that they too will have been blessed by the hearing of your word, by your presence and Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the hearing and answering, for we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for your input uh, today. I hope that we um, learn that there is an urgency. Uh, you know, we are part of God's mission, God's plan, and I hope that we understand that uh, we need to be prepared and we need to share this warning with as many people as possible. You know how uh, God said to the angels, how can we hide from Abraham what we are going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? And, you know, God revealed to us uh, through the Bible, through the prophecies, what's going on. We need now to uh, stand up and uh, really um, be part of God's mission for the salvation of many people. May God help us. My dear friend listening today, we are inviting you to get the offer which we have for today. It's a wonderful book, True Revival. And you need to send us a text message with the code SABS2. Please send the text message to 0482093882. Until next time, may God richly bless you and have a safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus.